Norman Centuries by Lars Brownworth. Episode 2, Richard the Fearless. Welcome back. When we left Normandy, its Viking leader Rollo had just died, leaving a 34-year-old son named William to look after his small piece of France. Today we're going to look at what happened next, but before I go any further, it's worth taking a minute to talk about our sources for this period, or more specifically, the lack of them. In the 10th century, the only people who knew how to read or write were monks, and monasteries tended to be favorite targets of Viking raids. After a century of getting clobbered, most of the clergy in Normandy relocated to safer territory away from the coasts, and the result was that we have virtually no written records of early Normandy. What we do have are several Norman histories written roughly a hundred years after Rollo's death that reconstruct events. Of course, these chroniclers have to be taken with a grain of salt. They were all being paid by the dukes, and were obviously not about to air their employer's dirty laundry. According to them, the early dukes were all shining examples of the ideal heroic Christian prince. In reality, they actually weren't even dukes at all. Rollo was given the Latin name of princeps, which simply meant leader, and his son William inherited no more than that when his father died. Normandy was a violent, chaotic place in the 10th century, and titles had to be earned with blood. William had to face this reality immediately. Even before his father's death, Norman expansion had been halted in the east by Flanders, and the Viking nobles blamed him. Several revolts had to be put down before he could gain control, and even after he had done so, another major rebellion broke out by his Norse subjects, who feared that he was growing too French. They certainly had a point. William, who by now had earned the nickname of Longsword for his exploits, married a direct descendant of Charlemagne, swore fealty to the French king, and started calling himself the Count of Rouen. This was disturbing news to Normandy's most powerful neighbor, Flanders. The Flemish had successfully stopped Norman expansion, and their Count Arnulf had no desire to see it begin again under an ambitious new leader. When William made the mistake of intervening in Flemish politics, Arnulf decided to permanently destabilize the troublesome province. Pretending that he wanted to make peace, he lured William to an island to discuss their differences, then had him assassinated. Not content with merely killing its leader, Arnulf twisted the knife by inviting the French king Louis IV to invade. William's son Richard I was only nine years old and clearly incapable of true resistance. The armies of Louis and Arnulf swept into Rouen, took Richard hostage, and sent him off as a trophy to the king's court. That would have been the end for Normandy if not for one thing. Arnulf and King Louis detested each other and soon fell to quarreling. Before long, Arnulf had withdrawn in a huff, and without Flemish support, Louis was hopeless. When a Norman force confronted him in Rouen, he not only lost the battle, but managed to get himself captured in the process. The delighted Normans exchanged him for their captive count, sending the humiliated monarch back to his capital. Richard I returned in triumph, and at the tender age of 13, took control of his inheritance. He ruled for the next 49 years. The problems facing the new count were enough to frighten a grown man, but he threw himself into his work with an energy that earned him the nickname The Fearless. He quickly proved far more adept on the Frankish stage than his father had been. When the French king again decided to threaten Normandy, Richard invited some Danish Vikings to pillage the upper Seine Valley. After a few weeks of such treatment, 
the king got the message and offered peace. Richard, however, wanted a more permanent solution. The French kings descended from Charlemagne, the Carolingians, would always be hostile to Normandy, so he helped his brother-in-law Hugh Capet to seize the throne, helping to establish the Capetian line of kings that would last for over 300 years. All in all, it was a stunning reversal of fortune for one who had started his political career as a prisoner of a Carolingian king. Now that he had consolidated political power, Richard could concentrate on internal affairs. One of the spiritual duties of a Christian prince was to look after his subject's spiritual well-being, and Normandy was in an appalling state. The turmoil of the previous century had left most of its churches and monastic houses abandoned, and this obviously had to be corrected. Over the next few decades, Richard refounded monastic communities at Mont-Saint-Michel, Ficamp, and Evreux, and imported reforming monks from across Europe to fill them. As a signal of how important the church was, he even appointed his younger son to the See of Rouen, a tradition that virtually every reigning member of his family would continue. Literacy slowly began to recover, and in fact, it is mostly from his foundation in Ficamp that we get the earliest records of the Norman dynasty. As Norman prestige grew with the influx of clergy, Richard was no longer satisfied with the title of count. At first he tried out the old Roman consul, then switched to the more formal marquis. Soon, however, he had his eyes on an even more prestigious appellation. Before he became king, his brother-in-law Hugh Capet had been a duke, a title reserved for the greatest of the Franks. Since Hugh had vacated it on assuming the crown, Richard appropriated it for himself. Neighboring chroniclers, rolling their eyes and snorting, no doubt, referred to him as the Duke of the Pirates. But nonetheless, the title stuck. By the fall of 996, Richard the Fearless had spent half a century in power and was obviously in failing health. At 63 years of age, he had lived longer than most of his contemporaries, and few expected him to go on much longer. While in Bayeux, he fell ill and moved to his favorite residence in Ficamp. There he solemnly chose a successor and walked barefoot to the nearby abbey, where he received communion and asked to be buried on the portico. The next night, a sudden seizure struck him, and he was dead by the time his attendants reached him. He had been a formidable duke, and Normandy owed much of its firm foundations to him. Under him, Normandy had been largely Christianized and feudalized, but perhaps his greatest accomplishment had been to convince his Scandinavian subjects that the principle of legitimacy, of son succeeding father, was far preferable to the instability of rule by the strongest. He's also the great dividing line in early Norman history. The reigns of Rollo and William Longsword are shadowy at best, long on legend and short on facts. Thanks to Richard's patronage of the church, however, the monks once again returned to their chronicles, and contemporary accounts multiplied. With Richard, the mists of legend part, and Normandy emerges into the historical record. The Normans certainly appreciated their long-lasting duke. They virtually canonized him. He was remembered glowingly as a sustainer of the poor, a guardian of orphans, a defender of widows, and a redeemer of captives. Later legends even had him wandering Rouen at night, confronting demons outside of dark churches. The greatest tribute to him, however, was composed a century after his death. In the Song of Roland, the great French epic about Charlemagne, he appears as Richard the Old, 
complete with long white beard and clear alert eyes. Normandy, of course, didn't exist at the time of Charlemagne. But thanks to Richard, by the time the poem was written, France without Normandy seemed inconceivable to the French. Join me next time as I talk about his son Richard II, who is known to posterity as Richard the Good, and who was the first duke to lead Norman soldiers against an English king. Norman Centuries is a podcast written and recorded by Lars Brownworth, author of the book Lost to the West and creator of the 12 Byzantine Rulers podcast. Visit us online at normancenturies.com.